issues. If you've watched the news all this week, you're probably familiar with the story of Lance Armstrong. That's a name that's probably in most of your minds. If you see those yellow bracelets around, Live Strong, that's kind of an initiative he started, raising awareness for cancer. If you know anything about Lance Armstrong's background, he's a cyclist. Um, he had a successful career, was hit with cancer um, several years ago, and it made it even to late-stage cancer. And uh, through a lot of treatment, through a lot of hard work, he overcame that cancer. Ended up getting back into cycling and entered in the Tour de France. Now, that's about the biggest cycling race there is, about a three-week race through France, through the Alps, just some crazy mountains and hills these people are riding. And he entered it, ended up winning it from 1999 until 2005, seven years in a row, he won that race. Around the time he was running, there's a big scandal in cycling with performance-enhancing drugs, and everyone who was successful, it seems, was getting caught using performance-enhancing drugs. And either they were admitting to it or at least falling under suspicion. And Lance Armstrong, of course, came under suspicion for that. And for a long time, that battle continued back and forth. And um, it shows up in the news, shows up in sports news and um, popular news as well of him fighting him. Just recently, this last week, They've made some new allegations against them. It was heading towards trial. Evidently, some evidence, some witnesses coming forward that uh, Lance Armstrong didn't think he was going to be able to beat. And so he finally just pleaded no contest. There's a writer for ESPN. His name is Jeremy Schaap. And he does stories on the backgrounds of people. Uh, so he finds out kind of the backstory on different athletes. He did an interview with um, Lance Armstrong and when you looked at Armstrong, there was just a look of exhaustion and defeat in his eyes. And he still claims he's innocent. That's not the point of the story, whether he's innocent or not. But when he said, you know, he's been through so much in his life, he looked at Jeremy Schaap and he said, I have nothing left. I'm done. I'm done fighting it. Whether he's innocent or not, whatever, he had reached the end of his rope. And you could just look as you as watch that little clip. You see his eyes. You can see his expression. You can hear his tone. And his words are, I'm done. I'm done. He had lost heart. No more fight left in him. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, this missionary so instrumental, used by God in the early stages of building the church of Christ after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the church went forward. Paul, so instrumental in seeing that spread, such a bold witness for Christ. And yet, when you read about Paul, he never comes across, he never communicates about himself as if he's like the superhero type. He's the indomitable spirit. Nothing can get him down. Instead, it's a constant struggle and a constant battle for him to not lose heart. And that's how he presents himself all throughout. And you see everything he went through. And there's multiple times in Scripture where he's wishing that he could just die and be with God. And yet even though he doesn't try to present himself as above or beyond suffering, he does always with confidence in the end of it, by God's grace and by God's strength, make the claim, I do not lose heart. I don't lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through the end of the chapter, verse 18, is going to be our text. 
It's going to kind of all revolve around verse 16. And my challenge to you this morning is that you do not lose heart. When we say do not lose heart, it means probably most of you can come up with an idea, but it means you've reached the end. You're throwing in the towel. You're giving up. You're broken. You're done. That's it. It's over. I think a good illustration to kind of help us picture what it means to lose heart. Have you ever seen someone who is sick, maybe battling cancer for a long time, and there's just a fight, and they're fighting it, and they're fighting it, and you know, a lot of times the doctors say, I don't know how they're hanging on, but they just, their will to live, they're fighting. And maybe they go through a new treatment, and they, the pain and the, the long haul that that can be, and they go back to the doctor after months and months of the treatment, and the doctor just tells them, I'm sorry, it hasn't helped. And it's almost like something switches, like a light switches, where suddenly the life is just gone out of them. They don't have the fight left anymore. And you've heard that a lot. They've just, they've just, they've given up on it. And almost always, very, uh, very seldom does that person live much longer. And that's kind of the idea of losing heart. The fight has gone on long enough. I'm throwing in the towel, I'm losing heart. Let's read this passage together, and then as we go through it, we won't really go through it chronologically. We'll take verse 16 and then just kind of take some different truths out of the passage as we go. But for right now, let's read verses 7 through 18. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that have been seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. A quick explanation of the context is Paul comes into writing this letter. He spent some time with the church at Corinth. And since he's left, he's undergone all kinds of suffering and hardship. And when you look at Paul, he's a mess. <laughs> I mean, he's like in prison. He's getting beaten. He's, he's not like just this picture of success and this picture of nothing gets me down. And there's teachers who have come into Corinth now, and they're, they're using that against Paul. And they're saying, you know, we have the nicest buildings, we have the nicest robes, we do the best teaching. Come look at me. I'm a picture of success. Not a lot different than a health and wealth type of gospel. Look at me. I'm a picture of success. Believe what I believe. And people were buying it and turning away from what Paul's teaching. And so when Paul comes now, he writes in the 2 Corinthians, and he spends a lot of time defending his apostleship and explaining to them what true apostleship is. But he doesn't do it by trying to look as good as these other people. 
He doesn't deny his suffering, and he doesn't act like, it's no big deal to me. I can deal with it. Instead, he embraces it. You'll see in this chapter, he's overwhelmed by it almost all the time. And yet, his claim is, there in verse 7, he's a jar of clay. Yeah, you got it right, that's all I am. So that everyone can see that the power belongs to God. That's the way God has planned it. And so that's the message. That's kind of the context of Paul now bringing this. And it extends beyond Paul. It extends to ministers, I think, that something we keep in our minds as ministers of the gospel. If what a success looks like to God as far as gospel ministry often will mean that you're not necessarily the superhero. You're going to go through some stuff. You're not always going to have the answers just like that. And then it extends to each of us because it's a Christian truth. That all of us are dying each day. When I come to this passage, I think about the audience. I think there's two things that need to be communicated, convinced of. Because there's two types of people sitting here hearing it. There are some people that need to be convinced that the battle to not lose heart is real. Maybe your life pretty much has gone as you've planned it to this point. There might be little bumps here and there on the road, but it's no big deal. Nothing gets me down. Que sera, sera. You're way overreacting on this whole idea of losing heart. I want to be warned in two ways as we go through it. First is that the promise to the Christian is that you will have to take up your cross and die. So if there's zero suffering and hardship and sacrifice in your life, take some stock for that. And if by God's grace to this point your life has been smooth sailing, it's not going to continue like that forever and for always. The promise is through tribulation we will enter glory. So that's the first person we want to address, and we'll do that with our first point. The second person we want to address is that you believe that victory in the battle to not lose heart is real. And you're the one who's in the midst of the battle right now, no end in sight. It's got you down, it's beating you down, and you feel like this is just now how I live, I might as well throw in the towel now. It's not worth it. The fight's not worth it. It's a lot easier if I just throw in the towel. And this passage hopefully will strengthen you as Paul tells you, victory in that battle to not lose heart is real. And then finally, our third part point, we'll look at the reward for those who do not lose heart in suffering. There's great reward. So the battle to not lose heart is real, point number one. A few things about that. Going back to kind of our launching verse in verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. First, it's just a reality of living in this age that is passing away. Paul gives us a statement. We do not lose heart and then two truths. Your outer nature is wasting away. Exactly what you wanted to come and hear and be encouraged with today is you're wasting away. All of you are going to be closer to death at the end of the service than you were at the beginning. (laughs) Be encouraged. But in a world that is completely turned on its head by sin, in an age that is passing away, your outer body, just your tent, this outer portion your physical being, including your mind and and your emotions and the things that are affected by the fall, they're wasting away. 
It's heading that direction for all of us. I'm only 30 years old. Some of you, I'm closer to wasting away. Some of you are further along the path than I am on wasting away. But it's the truth. I was really struck when I watched the Olympics. It was one of those things that kind of like was a stark reality to me. As I'm watching them and like they're introducing these athletes and all of them are younger than me now. Like some of them by like 10 years are younger than me. And you begin to realize like my door of making the big time is shutting. I I probably don't have much time left before I I make it. (laughs) We're wasting away. And beyond just the physical, I'm getting sick, my bones are getting brittle, just the cares of this world, the stress of living in a world that is, that is so corrupted by sin, your emotions, your physical strength, your spiritual strength, it is all just being exhausted. The battle to live for Christ you begin to just be exhausted and you begin to waste away. And so not just to put a big dark cloud over everyone, but the truth is that is life here as a vapor. We're wasting away. That's the reality of it. And that's where Paul starts. It's not an option. So there's that general idea of you're wasting away. A battle to not lose heart in the midst of that. But we can't just flatten it out and act like, well, if that's truth, then all of us experience the exact same hardship. Paul, as you read into Scripture, as you read about, as you just even think in your own life, is not only is it the reality of the age that is passing away, but there will be times and moments where you feel like you're pushed to the edge. It's not just like this. There are serious ups and downs. And it's going to be different for all of us. The amount, the weight of suffering and hardship that comes upon our life. Look how Paul says in verses 8 and 9. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Let's just look at those one by one. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. That word afflicted, it has the idea of being squeezed or pressed or confined. Isn't that true in your life sometimes? That you just feel like in every way, in every direction, I am being squeezed. I'm being pressed. Financially, Financially, with relationships, my spiritual walk. It's all squeezing in on me. You're feeling it. You're feeling that battle to not lose heart. In every way, Paul says, in every way, I'm being squeezed in. The pressure is squeezing in on me. But yet the promise, but not crushed. Not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. I mean, here's Paul, the the great founder of the church, And he's saying, I'm perplexed, like, I don't have the answer. I'm stressed, and I don't know what to do. Doesn't try to fake it that, hey, I got a jolly smile on my face, and I always know what's going on. Paul, I'm perplexed. 
but not driven to despair. It's a really interesting play on words here in the Greek. I, I don't want to quote Greek to you all the time, but I think this is helpful. It is a neat little thing. It's two words side by side, aparumenoi and then ex aparumenoi. So it's the same word with just a little prefix. And it basically is saying I'm at a loss, but I'm not totally lost. <laughs> it's hard to get that exactly into English, but you ever feel like that? I'm just at a loss. But you're not totally lost. You know who you are in Christ. You know the promises of grace and mercy that sustain. But there are moments of intensity in that battle to not lose heart. Persecuted but not forsaken. The idea of persecuted literally has the idea of being pursued. You think of it like that gazelle that's leaping around out there in the uh, desert or in the safari. And the lion's just pursuing it, going after it hard. That you're being pursued, but not forsaken. You're not just going to be left out there as lunch for the pack of lions. But you feel that sometimes. It's just, they're af- it's after me. Finally struck down, but not destroyed. Again, just the idea you knocked it down, but you're not knocked out. Driven to the ground. Paul is not some stoic. The scripture doesn't present script doesn't present life in an unrealistic way of just, you know, you'll face suffering and that's fine. It talks about the overwhelming crushing weight of it. It's real. Paul doesn't try to act like I don't feel it. I'm above it. He realizes he's lived he lives in a world that is passing away. That's affected by sin. Always his body is wasting away. And there are moments where he's perplexed, where he feels squeezed, where he feels pursued. And he knows the promise that he won't totally be overcome. But he knows that the battle to not lose heart is real. Then finally, in verses 10 and 12, we see that we are always being given over to death. It says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. That's part of the Christian life and the Christian experience. To lose your life is to gain it. Suffering, counting the cost, dying daily is part of the Christian experience. It is through tribulation you will enter Listen to some of these passages. 2 Timothy 3.12 All who are godly will suffer persecution. Acts 4.22 It is through many tribulations that you will enter the kingdom. Philippians 3.10 All of this promises of gaining Jesus Christ. But what you also gain is fellowship in His suffering. Romans 8 All those beautiful promises of no condemnation, of sonship, of uh, adoption, of heirs with Christ. And then you get to verses 15 through 17, and it tells you all of this is yours conditioned that you suffer with Christ. Matthew 5, 11 through 12, tells you it will be no surprise when suffering comes your way. It's part of your godly line and godly heritage from the prophets all the way. They've all been persecuted for Jesus' sake. If you believe in Christ, you will suffer. Being given over to death 
don't think of this now as like though we're some sort of masochist, that we have to like now beat ourselves and suffer, and that's what pleases Jesus Christ. That's not what's being said here. Is that suffering in itself, there's no, nothing noble in just suffering for the sake of suffering. But it does tell you that you will share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. You live in an age that is passing away. If you don't give yourself to this age, then you are counting the cost, and you will experience suffering and hardship and sacrifice of some sort. You'll experience it either financially, in relationships, in your heart's desires being set aside. You live right now as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. This is how you you die, is by constantly trying to live for Christ in an age that hates Christ, in an age that is passing away. If you give yourself to this age, you might escape some of that daily dying and daily suffering. But you also miss in the other promise, resurrection with Jesus Christ. We die daily. It's part of our calling as Christians. It's part of living for Christ in an age that is passing away. It's part of God's plan of showing His grace and truth and glory to the world is by you sharing in His suffering. So please understand, I'm not saying suffering is godly, just for suffering for suffering's sake, but it's in God's plan and in God's design that living for Him in an age that is passing away is going to cost you your life. Some of you, it might just be giving up a few simple things. Some of you, it might be martyrdom. And that's the call. And it's always happening, he says. Always. Always. So it's the reality of living this age is passing away. All of us are always being given over to death. Well, we don't totally flatten it out because we know that there are moments and times where it pushes you to the brink and it's intense in this battle to not lose heart. So the battle is real. Point number two, the victory in the battle to not lose heart is real. All right. I've worn everyone out. Put a big gray cloud of gloom and doom on you. But here's victory in the battle to not lose heart. We'll just start right in verse 16. We do not lose heart. Our outer man is wasting away. We've looked at that. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. The first promise is that there's a promise of daily renewal. You will notice there's not a promise of, oh, you're in suffering, I'll take you out of it. No, there's a promise that each morning when you rise, God will give you the strength to live for Him that day. Great is thy faithfulness. New mercies every morning. Do you know how you're going to get out of your problems, out of your stress? Will you know all the answers? By the end of today, will you know that for the rest through 2016, I got it all figured out? Probably not. But day by day, will God renew your inner man to live with a peace and joy? Even if you're not skipping around. Daily renewal. You see the contrast. It's It's going to happen. Your outer man is going to waste away. 
And here's what's also going to happen. God is renewing your inner man for all of eternity with him. Daily renewal. You have so many tools at your disposal. You go to the Word and God strengthens you with it. You go to prayer and God strengthens you with it. The worst thing you can do is withdraw from other Christians. That's what you want to do in the midst of, of hardship. It's too much energy. I don't, I'm too squeezed to go and be around everyone and be annoyed by everybody. But other Christians, you reaching out to be a blessing to them, them being a blessing to you, God renews you in the inner man. The promise that you will not be overcome. And we'll take time to go back over it, but verses 8 and 9, like we just looked at. You are perplexed, but you're not overcome. You are squeezed, but you're not crushed. You're at a loss, but you're never totally lost. If you caught that in Isaiah chapter 43, as Adam was reading, if you can recall as we've gone through Revelation, it's not a, it's not a promise of you're not going to face trial. It's not a promise of you're not going to pass through the flood ever. You're not ever going to get near the fire. The promise is you're going to feel the waves of those floods. You're going to feel the heat, uncomfortable heat of that fire. But here's the promise. You won't be drowned and you won't be burned. Exactly. When you walk through the water, I will sustain you. You walk through the fire, you won't be overcome. If you're attracted to the idea of a health and wealth gospel, can I say that the New Testament says the exact opposite all the time? The promise is not, believe in Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and free of all kinds of problems. No, it's, you're going to go through fires, you're going to go through water. God chooses the foolish, <laughs> and God and his grace will sustain you. Great blessing to yourself and glory to him. The promise that this present affliction is slight. Look at verses 17 and 18. Victory is ours. Why? Because the promise that this present affliction is slight. Verse 17. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, it's not light. I mean, this isn't like the commentary of modern, comfortable American that says, oh, this affliction's light. This is coming from Paul. Listen to Paul's circumstances as he writes this letter. This is in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 27. And far more labors and far more imprisonments. Here's Paul's testimony of himself. Beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Listen to this last part. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my concern for all the churches. (laughs) And I tell you a pastor of one small church, you can feel overwhelmed by the concerns and pressures. Here's Paul. All of that I'm going through, plus my concern for all the churches. <laughs> Here's Paul's commentary on it. Does he deny that it is perplexing and overwhelming and 
crushing to him, and not crushing, but pressing in upon him at times? Yeah. But he also says it's slight. It's a light affliction. It doesn't mean that it's meaningless or painless. It means that compared with what is coming, it's nothing. Compared with glory, it's not even worth comparing. It's like making a $100 down payment today for $10 million at the end of the week. If I say, if you give me $100 right now, I'll give you $10 million next Sunday. You're like, okay, 100 bucks hurts a little, but I'm willing to give that if I know that's coming. It's slight. It's not worth comparing what you have, the affliction you go right now, with the glory that's being prepared for you. Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then we see that this present affliction is momentary. I really burned myself with that mistake in the slides when we've been here 10,000 years. I don't know if you saw that in Amazing Grace. It should be we've been there 10,000 years. <laughs> it's momentary here on earth, not 10,000 years. When we've been there 10,000 years, a momentary affliction. And again, Paul doesn't mean that it's going to last like two or three minutes. He means that it might only last a lifetime. <laughs> It will get easier in this life. God will give grace. God gives you joy and victory. But at worst, it's only going to last a lifetime. This isn't your final role in life. This isn't your identity of who you are. This isn't just how it is for you. How it is for you is eternity as Jesus Christ's son and daughter. Glory beyond comparison. This light, this momentary affliction, at worst it lasts your lifetime, but it doesn't identify you. It's not who you are forever. Then finally, there is the promise of resurrection. Victory in the battle to not lose heart. We won't be overcome. Daily renewal. Affliction is light. Affliction is momentary. And then the promise of resurrection Look at verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Though our nature is decaying right now, we will be raised with the church to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying in verse 18, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternity with Christ because of the resurrection. The resurrection should embolden you when you face affliction. Here's why. Jesus Christ walked the path of suffering. He was crushed for our iniquities. When he walked that road to Calvary, all of our sin rested upon his shoulders. That's crushing weight. He was forsaken by the Father in that moment. 
If God turned his back on the son, he would cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know he wasn't finally forsaken by the father. He bore the sin of the world, and God turned his back on the son. He died right there with the crushing weight of sin. The father turning his back away. Our affliction's light. Our affliction's momentary compared to that moment for Jesus Christ. But when Jesus raised from the dead, it proved right there, death, sin, Satan had zero hold on him. Zero. He beat it all, victorious, forever, for all of us. So now when you suffer in this age that is passing away, you have a body that is wasting away, you're heading towards the grave. You have Christ who's already conquered sin and death, all of it for you, so that you can share in his resurrection. You share in his death, you share in his resurrection. That's the promise that victory in this battle of not losing heart is real. Cling to the resurrection. As we've heard about in Revelation, these are all themes. The Lamb who was slain. Victory in the Lamb. Finally, there is great reward for those who do not lose heart in the face of suffering. The battle is real. Victory in the battle is real. And there is great reward. There is the reward of life and eternal glory. We've already hit it. Won't spend a lot of time, but the reward is that if you lose your life, you will gain it. The person who dies to himself in this age that is passing away will share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is through tribulation that you enter glory. The promise and reward of not losing heart is you have life. Look how he contrasts it there one more time. In verse 17, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. So he describes affliction as light and momentary. Then your glory, he uses that eternal weight, and he uses that in contrast to the light affliction. Think of the light affliction, it's like that mosquito that lands on you and you bust it off. The weight of glory, you just think of a massive weight that envelops you. Momentary. Boom, and it's done. Eternal. He, he contrasts it with those light and momentary or an eternal weight of glory. The glory that we will share with Jesus Christ. And that is a reward to not lose heart right now. To not lose heart right now is life and glory, eternal glory. Then we see the second reward is life for those around you. I think this is important. Verse 11, it says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is in you. 
Paul, as he viewed his apostleship, his calling to death meant life for other people. Your suffering, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. As much as you would like to just, you know, go hide in a corner, not face anybody else, your suffering happens in front of the body of Christ. Shame on the body of Christ if it's met with, with judgment or met with, ooh, I don't want any part of that. That's a weird situation. Or, oh, man, that's a heavy burden they're carrying. I hope they do all right. The body is supposed to surround you, and as they see you not losing heart in the midst of suffering, it is life to them. God uses that. It extends from grace to another, as he says later. Grace extends from one to another to another. That God uses your hardship and suffering more than just teaching you a lesson in your life. He uses it for the body of Christ. So that movements have started because of the stand and death of one person. It's on the the blood of the martyrs that the church stands. God uses your suffering in the lives of others. That's a really hard call, I think, for us to suffer publicly. And it's not to make a spectacle of yourself and not say you can't have any privacy. I'm not saying that. But that you don't withdraw. That you don't deny. But Paul doesn't, he doesn't walk around denying, like, I'm completely fine. Nothing's wrong with me. He's not a big Eeyore all the time, but he's not, he's not acting like he's never perplexed. And as we interact with other people, we'll allow people to be in the midst of grief, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of confusion, without being annoyed with them, without wanting to just be like, would you smile all the time? It would make me feel better. That's not real. But then that person also would be able to share their burden enough that it strengthens others as they see someone suffer with grace, without losing heart, with their hope in Jesus Christ, the resurrection and life are promised to them. Others are strengthened and given life. Colossians one twenty four says, there talks about filling up the afflictions that were lacking in Christ. And it's not to that passage can be confusing sometimes. It can almost sound like Christ's sufferings weren't sufficient, and that's not what it means. But it's talking about how Christ suffered for the sake of others, for the good of others, that we follow in those footsteps of suffering for the sake, for the good of others. It is through affliction that your ministry will see a lot of fruit. And then finally, the last reward, it's where it all starts, where it finishes, is we bring glory to God. Look what Paul says in verse 7. But we have this treasure. That treasure, if you look back in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, is talking about the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is ours in Jesus Christ? We have this treasure. And where does God deposit this treasure? Yeah, jars of clay. <laughs> Like a, a dirty, broken pot. 
And why does he do that? It just tells us straightforward. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You know, if Adam or I stood up here before you and, you know, we are just, we have all the answers for everything. Nothing ever gets to us. We never get down. We are just so polished and so refined and, you know, you might think that's the case, but it's not. You know, then the surpassing power, the glory, the greatness, there's no way it can belong to us. It belongs to God. You know the struggles of your own heart, the inconsistencies of your own mind. We're no different. God deposits this great treasure not in anything that's worthy of it. He deposits it in jars of clay in order that he might receive the glory. Then verses 13 and 15. So since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. Quoting there from Psalm 116. It says, We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, for it is all for your sake. So as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You see how it's set up? It is through hardship and suffering. It is through not losing heart in the midst of it. Grace is sufficient for you in that moment. The power is belongs to God, it's evident to everyone, and then grace extends from you to others and to more and to more, and then thanksgiving and praise is offered not to the jar of clay, but to the glory of God. It starts there, and it finishes there. Don't let it offend you that you suffer for God's glory. Don't think of it as Jesus as some like mean puppet master up there putting you through things. Only God is worthy of glory and that he would put into you a jar of clay. He would entrust to you the greatest treasure ever. And then you get to share in his life and that includes sharing in his suffering with the promise of resurrection and eternal weight of glory. Glory to God for that. Don't resist that in your heart and your mind. So do not lose heart. I encourage you with it. I encourage you feel like, ah, it's not that big of a battle. It is. There is a struggle. For those of you who feel like the battle's too big, it's not. God promises victory. And there's great reward in victory. All right.